0: It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise, it's Your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to You only. One thing the Lord has really been impressing on my heart is to never take for granted His presence. That's not just in a service when we gather corporately. That's never take for granted His presence in our lives individually. You know, I, I believe He is as active in our lives as we are aware of Him. And, you know, there are times that we feel like, man, God's really been doing stuff <laughs> in my life. And I think many times it's because we've been setting our attention on Him. Are you with me? We've been seeing Him for who he is. And, you know, it's easy in life to get distracted. Yeah, as I, was, uh, as I was preparing this week and just spending time with the Lord, the thing that he just kept telling me over and over in my heart is this, Todd, said, that's what he calls me. He said, Todd? I said, yes, Lord. He said, time is the most precious commodity you have. Time is the most precious commodity that you have. Every other thing that we value in life, it comes from time. What are you talking about? Let me clarify. Money, the money that you make on your job or whatever you do, it comes from time that you invest in it. The things that you enjoy, that your money bought, they come from time. And here's the one thing about time. It can't be bought but it can be wasted. And uh, as I said, our culture here, I, real, I really today, I've been praying, you know, it's amazing what a mission trip can do. And not just that, but just the process of time as you set your attention on him, how he can uh, just really prioritize your life if you allow him. And uh, over the past few weeks, since We went to, you know, this, this past two months in our home has been just amazing. We had a daughter get married in May, the last of May. Then in June, we went on a mission trip and uh, just saw the Lord do some amazing things there. And uh, then July, we came home and uh, we went on vacation. So just May, June, July, just boom, 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 boom. And uh, one thing that was precious about vacation this year is we didn't really do much anything. We just vegged a lot. And uh, we would, and it, what it caused me to do is just slow down. And um, it, did, it doesn't mean that we have to be on vacation to, ha- to spend time. And I don't want you to think either that when I talk about slowing down, that I'm talking about inactivity. I love what Joseph Prince talks about. He says it's not inactivity; it's directed activity. There's a huge difference. But the Lord just began to show me how precious time is, and how. There are, everything is vying for time. And that you can't buy it, but you can waste it. And that our priorities, listen, are seen by our time. You can tell me what's a priority to you. You know, I had this, uh, this old preacher said to me one time, he said, Do you want to see where somebody's checkbook is, I mean, where their priority is, show me their checkbook. I'll, I'll go one better than that because that's just relegated to finance. You want to see someone's priorities, show me their calendar. Show me their time. What's most valuable to them? And you know, our culture is a culture of, of worship and where I was going. Thank you, Lord. He's so good. It's to Todd. Is, I want to just vision cast a little with you today. I want to tell you who we are and where we're going and what I feel like the Lord is saying to us. And you say, well, don't you do that in January? I think anytime you get clarity, you do it. And and, uh, the Lord has just really been giving me clarity. And uh, I don't think it's just for me. I think it's for our body. I think it's for us individually. And the thing that I can't uh, expound on enough is time. And He showed me in His mercy how much of my time I use for different things. Now let me say this from the beginning, uh, just so I don't get misquoted or misunderstood later on. It doesn't mean that you have to lock yourself in your closet and spend eight hours a day fasting and praying. But what it does mean is no matter where you are in the day, we've talked about this before, everybody meditates. Everybody in this room meditates. And that means to think on, to mull over, to rehearse in your mind. Everyone in this room meditates. I don't care who you are, you meditate. If there's an issue going on in your life, if there's a shortage in finance or something like that, you can be doing your job, you can be talking on the phone, but in the, in the back of your mind, many times what you're doing is you're rolling over and over and over that need. Over and over and over that thing. You know, um, one thing the Lord's really been speaking to me as well in dealing with those situations is it's real easy to get caught up in just speaking to the situation. Are we supposed to speak to our mountains? Mark 11, 23, 24, absolutely. But are we supposed to meditate on our mountain? No. But he even showed me in my life, if there's things in my life, if there's something I'm believing him for, that it was really easy for me to declare, to, to prophesy, to speak the word over it, and then to think about that thing. All the time. Well, I just continued to speak to it. I continue to speak to it. He spoke to the fig tree. As a matter of fact, that's not exactly true. He answered the fig tree. You read it in context. So the fig tree was saying something to him. And he spoke to the fig tree. He answered the fig tree. And then he just went on. And the next day when they came by, his disciples were like, wow, look at that. That tree that he spoke to, it's dead. And Jesus was like, yeah. And because he understood the power of the word. So we are supposed to declare, we're supposed to speak to. But there's also a place in us where we rest and we understand that what God has said is true. And that comes mainly through worship, through setting our eyes on him. Because no matter how big that thing is, the more we set our eyes on him, the smaller it gets. That's, you know, where it says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. When we set our attention on God, does that make God bigger? Bigger. Does he expand in his kingdom in heaven? Does he start growing when we set our eyes on him? No. Where does he grow? In this kingdom. He grows in this temple. Our our estimation of who he is and what he's capable of grows on the inside of us. Not him in heaven, but him in us. Does that make sense? And uh, as I was thinking about that, and thinking about what I shared about last week about The body. We're the body, and uh, collectively, it's what it takes to see the kingdom of heaven on the earth. And I just began to press into that more. And he said, You know, that's shown by the number one way is by what's your priority, and that's your time. What are you willing to invest into the kingdom of heaven in you? And here's what I know there are no shortcuts. I do believe that we're in a day that, that revelation from the Lord, that impartation from the Lord is accelerated. I believe that we're in a day that if you press into Him, things will, be, will happen, they'll be released in you faster than in other generations because of the day that we're in. I believe that with everything in me. So it doesn't mean that you know I've been in this for quite some time, been in full-time ministry for many, many years. It doesn't mean that you've got to go, you've got to do all those things. I've seen it in people's lives, but here's the thing the time that you put in, what you sow, He gives back and more with it. That's what the Word of God says. But it's still our responsibility to steward what He gives us. And I believe it's not just how much we invest, it's how well we steward what He's trusted us with. And the most precious commodity that we have to steward is not our finances. It's not our, our jobs. The most precious commodity that we have to steward is our time. And as we set our gaze on Him, that can be throughout the day, but as we set our hearts on Him, our time shifts and shapes. I, I believe that we can give Him the first part of our day, even if you're not a morning person. I think the Lord I am. I know those <laughs> that aren't. And uh, but I think the Lord, I'm a morning person. That it's it's not hard for me to get up. It doesn't mean I might need might not need a nap around one or two, <laughs> but I can I can get up around five in the morning and spend time with the Lord, enjoying setting my heart on Him. But it doesn't mean that you have to get up at five in the morning. But what it means is when you get up, that He is the delight of your life. He is the attention of your heart. And we set our day. And I'm telling you, I've been able to get things done in a day that I I don't understand how they happen because I set my eyes on him. And I gave him the first part of the day and started that day with with just a heart surrendered to him, saying, Lord, what do you want to do? And you know what? There are some days that I have an agenda, I have a schedule, and the Lord says, I want you to do this. And you know what? I don't get it all done. I have an email I was going to send out this week. I, I let Melanie and Tina my emails. So it's been a month since I sent an email. In case y'all didn't know, for those who didn't notice, <laughs> it's been a month since I sent an email, and I had one. I have one now, ninety percent finished, and it was finished Thursday evening. But Friday was a busy day, and I came and Friday I had to meet with uh, someone here at the church. It was supposed to be a fifteen-minute meeting. Two hours later, and it wasn't. Uh, it it was. It was business. It wasn't church. you understand? It, was, it had something to do with the business side of the church, not with the spiritual side of the church. But as we were, as we were here, the Lord began to open a door, and for an hour, I got to just share. And, and the Lord allowed me to speak into this individual's life leadership principles straight from the Word of God. And it all dealt with identity. It all dealt with Identity. And this individual said, man, in the, where I work, and he was here about his work, he said, where I work, that's the problem. They don't know who they are. He said, and I see people trying through their profession to gain an identi- identity, through their possessions to gain an identity, and they don't know who they are. I mean, it was just like this aha moment. And I got to present the gospel for an hour, hour and a half to this man. And at the end, I got to ask him, do you do you uh, have a personal relationship with the Lord? He said, "I do," but I got hurt in church. Is pretty much what he said. He didn't say those exact words. He said, "I got disillusioned with religion." I said, "Me too." Was, we saw a man yesterday in Walmart, and he said, "You still doing that religion thing?" I said, "Absolutely not." <laughs> and he looked at me. Kind of funny. I said, no, I don't have a whole lot of time for that whole religion thing. It'll kill you. I said, that religion stuff will kill you. Because religion is due. Christianity's done. It doesn't mean that there's not any do involved in it. But Christianity, we're operating from a position of done. We're not doing. And he began to talk about when he got disillusioned, all these different uh, religions that he looked at. And he's talked about... Uh, this religion. He talked about that religion. And I said, well, you know what? All of those are a branch off of truth. They saw some truth, and they took it, and then they tried to, they built their belief system off of a truth, but not the truth. And I said, every other one, I said, here's the thing. Every other one, except for ours, is all about what you do, not what's been done. He said, you're exactly right. He said, man, that's different. I said, Amen. I said, it's not different. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. What he desires is relationship, not religion. And there, but the, the where that can get cloudy is so he can say, Well, I got relationships, so I don't do anything. And that's not the answer. The answer is this through my relationship you know, that's just like <laughs> I've I've shared this before here. We will be married. My wife and I will be married 25 years next month. I'm a blessed man. I'm a blessed man. In the first part of our marriage, I, was, I, I really didn't understand a whole lot about marriage. I knew what it meant to be married. I had that figured out. But I didn't understand the reality of marriage and what it took to make a home. It's not a ring on your finger. It's not bricks and mortar. It's what you invest in each other. And... Uh, it's sad to admit this, but the first part of my marriage, my wife did all the work, and I just enjoyed it. She did all the work. She, we both worked full-time jobs, but she cooked, she cleaned. I, I took care of Brianna a little bit, but everything else was pretty much on her. And when I realized how ignorant I had become that I wasn't purposely just taking advantage of my wife, but in reality, that's what I was doing. Because I would go to work, leave dirty dishes in the sink, come home from work, dirty dishes still be in the sink, and I'd sit on the couch. You know, I've shared this before, like a little dog with my tail wagging, waiting for Mama to get home so she can hug me and pat me and rub my little head so she could squeeze me. And I would just sit there, and I'd wait on her. She would get home, and she worked long. Her hours were longer than mine because she worked out of town. She would get in, she would go right in the kitchen, and she would clean the dirty dishes that I had left there, and then she would start making dinner. And when she got through with dinner, she would clean the dishes that she used for dinner. And sometime, I, I, I do a lot of dish cleaning now, but sometimes I tell her, I say, I don't know what we're eating for dinner, but we are not cooking in this house because I am not washing the dish. <laughs> we eating out tonight, baby. <laughs> I will use our forks and knives and stuff. I'll wash those, but... We did that just the other day. We were doing something. She said, what are we eating? I said, I don't know what we're eating, but we are not cooking a thing in this house. I'm not grilling. We're not cooking on the stove because it always dirties pots, and then we have to wash them and put them up, and dinner, which should be 45 minutes of enjoying, ends up an hour and a half. We're not doing it. But (laughs) that was last night. Yeah, that was just last night. (laughs) That's why it's so fresh in my mind. <laughs> I'm sharp like that. <laughs> but relationship, there is a due part of relationship. and healthy relationships, it's not always serve, serve, serve. It's, it's 100-100. It's us giving and, and desiring that our mate be the best they can be. And I'm willing to invest my time, my attention to see them be the best that they can be. That's a true relationship. So, in the same thing in our relationship with the Lord, our heart's desire should be that Jesus gets his full reward. That Jesus receives everything that he paid for on the cross. And and while this may be contrary to some belief systems, he didn't die just so we could go to heaven. That's very, very, very important. But it's not the destination, it's the door. Salvation is a door into relationship. God restoring what man lost. And when we enter into that door, that's when we begin to live with His life. And it's then, as we live with His life, that it affects others around us. It's not just we get saved and hold on till we get there. As a matter of fact, when He told His disciples how to pray, when they said, how do we pray? He said, you pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We're praying. We're, our desire, our privilege is to see the kingdom of heaven on the earth. And last week I talked about the importance of the body and how it takes the body to make that happen. And I want to clarify something. I, I want everyone to know for sure where I stand. That, that doesn't mean that we, the river, are the body as a whole, it means that we, the river, are a part of the body. That's a whole, and that's the, the church in the earth, the body of called-out believers. But, and I am very passionate, and I de- I, many times in giving my vision, it can seem as though I think we're the only ones doing it right. That's not my heart. But what I'm saying is, in that passion is, here's what God's called us to do, and we're going to do it with everything that we've got. But I understand in the body, there are many that make up the body. You see that in 1 Corinthians 12. You see that in Ephesians, and we're going to read some of Ephesians in a few moments. But I understand that there are many in the body who aren't doing what we're doing, but they're doing what God's called them to do, and I'm thankful for them. So I want you to know where I stand. We pray together every week. I pray together every week with pastors from four different denominations. Only one of those four is another charismatic denomination. The others are are traditional, fundamental. One is the oldest church in this city, the oldest church in the city, and he's one of the dearest brothers I have. He is passionately pursuing the Lord. And the Lord uses him in my life every week. So I understand that he's on the other side of town, but God's using him in the kingdom. Do you understand? That we're not the only ones doing it, but we're doing what God's called us to do, and we're going to do it with everything we've got. So in my excitement, I I have a tendency sometimes to get excited. (laughs) Every once in a while, I have a tendency to get excited And in my excitement and in my passion, it can sound as though I'm exclusive, thinking we're the only ones and God. We're God's gift to Gibsonville because Gibsonville was going to hell in a handbasket till we arrived, and we're going to fix everything. That is not my heart. But my heart is this. I desire for it to be hard for people to go to hell in Gibsonville. Let me say that again. I desire for it to be hard for people to go to hell in Gibsonville. And you know what? That doesn't happen by us having good worship services here. It doesn't happen by us having great word preached in here. That happens by us, you know, being that river that Ezekiel 47 talks about, that we're that river that flows out. And we've talked about that for years. We've talked about that from our inception, that that's who God's called us to be. But I'm telling you, as I've spent time in the DR, here's one thing the Lord really did that just rocked me. We've been to the DR Four years, I've been four years in a row, me. All our people hadn't, but I have. I'm just kidding. Last year, we went down just, we didn't take a group down. We just went down last year to purchase land for the church that we have in the DR, the Dominican Republic for those who are new to us, the Dominican Republic. But each year we've gone down, it's been amazing. The three years that we've taken teams down, and this year it clicked. (laughs) I tell you, I'm not always the sharpest knife in the drawer but I'll get it done. And this year, I got sharpened. I was sharing this with Tina. We went down, and, and we, when we go to the Dominican Republic, we'll go out from the very first trip to this last trip. We'll go out into the community with these churches, and we just minister in the community. Every year, I've been asked the same question, but this year, <laughs> I'm just being real. <laughs> so uh, they ask, Man, this is just awesome. This is just awesome how you come down and go into our communities. Do y'all do this at home? And every year, no. No, we don't do this at home. We just come down here and do this. Yes, Lord, we do it here. We come down and we go into communities because we want to see communities transform. But we go home and we worship and we invite people to worship with us. And we'll go out every once in a while and tell people that we're worshiping and tell them that we'd love for them to worship with us but pretty much our activities inside of our building. Now, we'll go to the depot and we'll worship there and do things like that. And we have a ministry called Go that four or five people will go out into the community and do things like that. But as a whole, do we as a church just go out? No. And what was amazing this, this year when we went out, <laughs> with when we were in Meva, we went out and there were... Uh, they split us up into like five or six groups. And these, they, each group, we were on the main road coming into town, into Meva. And they, we held signs, and one is, you're a sinner. The next was, Jesus died for your sin, that you can be born again. So there was a story. As people drove into town, and man, they drive into town. As people drove into town, they saw this. And then the last one was a group that was praying for people on the street, whatever it was, they're just praying for people. And uh, Bruce and I, Bruce is a local pastor here. Uh, he's one that prays with us uh, on Thursdays. He's at uh, Christian Life Assembly. <laughs> Thank you. I just went totally blank. He's m- one of my good buddies. He's where? And what's, his <laughs> name? what's his name? He's on the other end of 100. But uh, they said split them up in teams, so I split everybody up in teams. And the last group was the group that was going to be praying for people. That's where I wanted to be, but he said, give me five people. So I gave five people, not including me or Bruce. I said, Lord, who do you want to be there and... So we sent those five people. So Bruce and I are just standing around. He said, what are we doing? I said, I have no idea. So we're, uh, we're standing, and this young guy comes up to us, doesn't speak much English, and says, come, come. And we start walking, and we just walk out in the street, and I go, okay, Jesus, where are we going? Everybody's gone, and here's Bruce and I and this guy, and he's just as happy as he can be, and he's walking at a good clip. So we're walking, keeping up, and i like, Bruce, I said, I have no idea where we're going, Bruce. And we end up with the people who are praying for people. The Lord is good. Todd. But what amazed me was not that Bruce and I showed up. What amazed me is there were kids there that were praying for people. And I mean, these kids, they were 12 and 13 years old, some younger, and they were out in the intersection. Stop, 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 stop. I'm I'm talking to the place where I was like, no, really, don't do that. Stop. Because they have dump trucks there, just like our dump trucks, but their dump trucks don't have front ends on them. There's a reason they don't have a front end. They're not made that way. Are you tracking with me? Something at some point took the front end off of the dump truck. (laughs) Possibly another dump truck. There would be a bumper with lights strapped on it and an open engine. I'm not exaggerating. And they would come through town. The most precious commodity in the Dominican Republic is your horn. The bigger the horn, the better you are. You can have a little car with a big horn. I am not exaggerating. That, when you land in the DR, the first thing you hear is horns. I'm surprised the planes don't have a horn, so when they come in, they, everybody knows we're here. But they're coming through, hitting. and there's these little girls, 12 and 13. Wait, 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 stop, and just go after it and start praying for people. Guys on motorcycles, they would just about stop them, step in front of them and stop them. And the pastor was telling me, he said, there was two little girls. One had a, a five on her. And that was a number five on her shirt. And the other little girl had something written on her shirt. I can't remember. But the little girl, I think it was the little girl that had the five. The pastor said, you see that little girl? I said, yeah. He, he said, her mom's a prostitute and her dad's a drug dealer. And she's pretty much raised here through our school. And we're going to hear more about the school in Meva and how you individually can partner in, with kids so that They can go to school and get a meal. And we we fed the kids one day. They came to move up to get their grades one of the days that we were there. They came to get their grades, and they had a meal for them. And they all brought presents. And um, some of them had nothing. And uh, Pastor Radimaeus said, you can give something. If it's to write them a note, you can give something. But you give out of gratitude. So there was all the students were there at the school to move up. And then we had a big service uh, upstairs. I think that's the picture when we had everybody. And when we got on the floor and everybody, we took a big picture. That was the kids from the school and stuff like that. And uh, so all the kids sat down, and we got to serve them. We got to give them their food. And the pastor came up to him, and he said, for some of these kids, this is the only meal they'll get today. And I was just humbled. And as I watched this little girl, Go unashamedly go after it for the Lord. I mean, stopping. Any any vehicle or thing that looked like a vehicle, <laughs> and some things just look like vehicles, I'm not sure they really are, that came into that intersection, she was trying to stop. Wait, 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 we want to pray for you. Wait, wait, stop, 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 we want to pray for you. To the place, literally, I'm like, little girl, that ain't safe. <laughs> Somebody get a hold to her because she's scurrying me. I was just waiting for one of them half a dump trucks to come through. But she was adamant. You know why? Because the living God had touched her in the midst of a prostitute mom and a drug, addict, a drug dealing dad. She had an encounter with the living God. And she wanted other people to know about that. So it upped the ante on, hey, do you guys do this at home? No. You know, it's it's easy to come. It's it's easier in this culture to do it here. I told myself all the excuses. You don't hear me. I'm not asking you to commit to anything, so you don't have to be quiet, okay? I'm not asking for a commitment. I'm just sharing vision, all right? Everybody goes, oh Jesus, I can breathe. I felt oxygen leap move in the room when I said I'm not asking for a commitment. People took a breath that had been holding it. Get it together, Todd. Come on. But uh, they, these pieces begin to come together, and about time and about priority. And uh, you know, here's what I know from experience, and I know from observation: we make time for whatever we want. We make time. I know in my life, uh, and, and if it's a priority, we make time for it. And as we evaluate what's most important, and and I'm not saying church has to be most important. I'm saying Jesus needs to be most important because here's my heart today. If you don't hear anything else, my heart is not that we come here and do stuff here. My heart is that we go out and every every facet of our life, we're sensitive to the voice of God. And we go, hey, here's an open door and I have an opportunity. Because that's why you didn't get your email this week because Friday, the time that I had allotted to finish it up and get it out, I spent, I had the privilege of ministering to somebody for over, for over two hours. And then the rest of my day was full. It was impossible to get it done. And uh, I said, you know what, Lord? I'm thankful. I believe we did what you wanted us to do. But it only comes to get to where I feel the Lord wants us. Now I'm talking from the global church. I'm talking to the local church. This body right here. It's going to come through us setting our hearts on Him like we've never done before. I said last week, and I believe this, I believe that it's, I believe it's easy to get out of focus, but I believe that we as a body are on the edge of what the Lord wants us to do, of stepping into the destiny that He has for us. And I think we've been there before. I think that we've been really close and we've backed away some at times. We've been close and we've backed away some. doesn't mean we've missed It doesn't mean we have to walk around the mountain again. But I believe that the way that that happens, as I shared last week, is the body's arising and doing what the Lord's called this body to do. Not just one member, but the body. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter 3. Some are saying, praise the Lord, he finally used a scripture. Ephesians 3, verse 6, says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became minister according to the gift of grace, of gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and make, uh, and make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Listen. To the intent that now... The manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Wow, that's a lot. And through Him we have boldness in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. See, we as the river are a part of the body, but as a local assembly, there's a call, there's a vision that God has for our house. Ephesians chapter 4, as you continue to go in Ephesians 4, it says verse 4 of Ephesians 4, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were all called in one hope of your calling, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Where is he? In you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, he gave gifts to men. Now, this, the ascended... What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heaven, that he might fill all things. And he, gave himself, he gave, and he himself gave some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In love. Now I want to go back and just highlight a couple of things in this and then we'll move on. I've got quite a bit of scripture that I want to share with you this morning to, to, found, to lay the foundation for what I'm saying. In verse 7 it says, But to each one of us, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. There's one body in the world. One body of Christ in the world. We're not it. We're part of it. Are you with me? There's one body in the world. But what he said is this. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Listen, this, is, this applies to everybody, it's not exclusive to a few. Everyone in this room, every person in the world who has relationship with Jesus Christ, who's been born again, has a gift on the inside of them. There's a gift in Josh and Tiffany and Tina. There's a gift in them, and many times it's not the gift that's in me. Are you with me? There's gifts. I could go around to each one of you. I want you to if, If I could come to each of you and shake you this morning. If you have relationship with Jesus, there's something that's been deposited on the inside of you that's for His kingdom, for His glory, but you're the only one that can release it. You're the only one that can release it. And our responsibility is to steward that gift that's been placed on the inside of us. And we can take it like the steward who hid it in a napkin and covered it because he understood that God... But that, that the, the master reaped where he didn't sow. And so he was worried that he would lose what he had. And Jesus said in the parable, you should have taken it and given it to somebody else who would have done something with it. But we can be so consumed with our world and what's going on that we lose sight that there's something inside of me that's greater than me that's to be released. And that can happen... Church, many times, creates a culture for that to happen because we come in and, and you come to church for everything. If there's, a prayer, if there's a need, should we come together and pray together? Absolutely. I want to get this stuff out so people aren't confused and misquoting me. Should we come, Is there power in, in corporate prayer? Absolutely. Should we come together to hear the word that we'd be edified? Yes. Absolutely. Should we come so that we, can be, uh, so that we can be strengthened in the word, so that we can get a greater understanding of the word? Absolutely. But see, many the culture in our world is you come to church to get, not to give, unless it's your money, and church really knows how to tell you to give your money. Is there anything wrong with giving money? No. Should we give? Absolutely. You shouldn't give begrudgingly. You shouldn't give out of compulsion. You should give because you're so in love with Jesus that I'm not giving it away. I'm sowing it into my future. Because I know that if I place money in here, it's not going to the river. It's going to the kingdom. And when I place in there, that's, an, that's evidence of the time that I've sown to receive that money, the job that I worked, and those things. And when I give in there, I'm not giving it away. What I'm doing is planning it. The same is true about our time. The same is true about our service, how we serve the Lord. The same is true about the gift that's been placed on the inside of us. My passion, my desire is that the body of Christ awakens and realizes when they come to church, they're bringing something. And it can be a word of encouragement to someone sitting right beside you. It could be prayer. You know, we've done this many times in the river. May do it today. I shouldn't have told you that. Strike that," he said. In the end of the service, we won't have a ministry team up front that's praying for you. We'll just tell everybody: if you're a believer, you're you have the ability to minister to someone beside you. Because, as I said, it's a perpetuating culture that we do. Not bad. It's not bad. Don't get me wrong. But it, it can create a mindset that at the end of the service, there's going to be people who know how to pray, and they can pray for me. So if I can just get to church on Sunday, there'll be somebody who can pray, and they can get through. And when they get through, my need will be met. Oh, don't shout me down. I know, I know that's right because I've been there. Instead of saying, you know what, this is the day the Lord has made. He's placed on the inside of me a gift. Is that what the Word of God says? But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we have no right to belittle that. We have no no right to push it aside. He goes on in the Ephesians here. uh, I don't know if it's Ephesians. It may be. Anyway, I'll get there maybe. And he talks about the body and the importance of the body and that you know, there are more comely parts and less comely parts. But, and, you know, so yours might not be the mouth like mine is. Thank you for being kind. Yours may not be the one who's in the front, but it doesn't mean that it's less valuable because if, if Christ gave it, does it matter? Absolutely. See, what we have to learn to do is value him and his gift above what we think we have to offer. And as I was meditating on that, the Lord took me back to Abraham. When Abraham got, said, "God, where am I going to go?" He said, "I'll go with you." When Moses said, "Lord, who am I to deliver your children? To get the children? What am I? Who? Who am I?" And the Lord said, "I'll go with you." He didn't validate. He didn't validate who Moses was. What he said is, "I'll go with you." John. John the Baptist, the man who proclaimed, he's the one. His shoes, I'm not willing, I'm not able, not worthy to undo his shoe latchets. He's the one. Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's the lamb. When John got to the place where he had been betrayed and was about to be beheaded, he said, go ask Jesus if he's really the one. You think John was a little discouraged? You know what Jesus did? Even in that, Jesus didn't validate John. If you were John, you were in prison, you had laid your life down. Locust and honey. And, and, you know, when we were in Israel, we found this thing. I think I shared this. It's like this big, long thing that grows on trees. And it's called a locust. And it's a, a kind of a bean or something like that. And one of the guys I was with said, this is what it was talking about when it says, John ate locust and honey. It wasn't that John was catching bugs in the air and eating bugs and dipping them in honey and stuff. It was this thing that grew on the tree there that's indigenous to this area. Did he ever eat a bug? Probably. It was John. And he was in camel hair. He was baptizing people all the time. How I many of you know that wasn't a real pleasant smell? He, he is, anyway, I don't have to paint a picture. But this is John who had laid his life down, right? His whole life from, from birth. He, the only person in Scripture that says the Holy Spirit came into him in his mother's womb and empowered him for the commission on his life. In the time that he wanted validation about what he had done, Jesus, it says, in that hour, there were many blind, deaf. He raised the dead. In that hour, he did what the Lord had called him, what the Lord had sent him to earth to do, and that's reconcile, redeem man. So what he told the disciples that came from John is, go tell John, you see the blind, see the deaf here, the lame walk, and the dead are raised. Then the disciples leave, and you know what the next thing Jesus did? He said, I tell you, born among men, there's not one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus didn't validate John in his carnality. What he did is he said, here's who, God, here's who you proclaimed me to be, and here's what I did. Where did he put John's attention? On him. And then when the disciples left, he began to talk about how John had given his life for the gospel, for, for him to, to make a way for him. See, he's not into validating us, but what he is into doing is developing the gift in us that he gets the honor and the glory. <laughs> and it says we offer that to him in love. That's what it said here. That's what it in love. But it says that it, each of us, whose grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. There, that's, there's one body in the world, and each of us has been given a different gift to be expressed in the world for his honor and his glory. That's my annotated notes on verse 7. Drop down to verse 10. He who ascended is also the one who, de- who, I'm sorry, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Have you ever thought about that? As I was reading this afresh, and I, I've started doing that as I read, I just say, Lord, I want to see this like I'm seeing it for the first time. I'm not reading it like a novel I've read through before, and I know what's getting ready to happen when he walks around the corner. It's not that. I, I say, Lord, I want to see it like it's the first time I've seen it, because, Holy Spirit, you're alive, and you're my teacher. You're the one who reveals to me. And it, it's how, it says that the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. How is he going to fill all things? Jesus Is going to come down from heaven again and fill everything up? No, nope. you know how he does it? Through us. You know how he fills all things when we take the gift he's given us and we say, I'm willing to pour it out wherever you tell me. So think about that, right? In this church, the amount of people that's in here right now, right now, I'm giving out and you're receiving, right? That's pretty simple. I'm giving out and you're taking in. But if we all came with the understanding, man, there's something in me that needs to be given today. There's something in me, not because I'm validated, but because he's validated. Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And there's something placed on the inside of me. So, Lord, as I come to church today, I'm not looking for the mic. And there may be times that you take the mic and testimony. I'm not looking for the mic, but what I'm looking is I want to give out of what you've deposited on the inside of me. That excites me. Because then I'm coming to church not just to get my fix, Not just to get better, you know, but I'm coming because I know, yes, I'm going to receive, but in my receiving, I'm giving. Because here's what I know. We're called, not just this church, but as believers, we're called to be those rivers. John says that it'll be a river that that comes out of you, right? Talked about the Holy Spirit. He said he'll be a river that flows out of you. What's a river do? Man, you go to uh, third world countries, you'll see what a river does. People build villages beside those things. Why? Because everywhere the river goes, as Ezekiel said, there's life. There's life. But you know what? When the river stops and it stagnates and it doesn't go out, nothing goes out, you know what does? It dies. The stuff in it dies and it begins to stink. And as I've observed, it's so easy for church to create a culture that becomes a pond instead of a river. It's so easy to create a culture where you come and you get and we come and we worship. But there has to be an outlet in our life. And it's different for all of us, you understand? But it's His gift in you. And you know how that gift grows? By how you develop it. You don't believe that? You, and, you know, you might not be much in physical fitness. You might not much, be much in training, going to the gym, exercising and all that. I can still teach you a lesson about muscle without taking you in the gym and making you hurt. (laughs) And it's this. You take an arm, you take your arm, and for six months you just strap it to your side and you don't use it. It'll still be attached. It'll still have blood flowing through it. It'll still have oxygen. You're still eating. But you take that, that arm and you just strap it right here to your chest for six months and leave it there. And don't do anything with it. Don't use it to help bathe. Don't use it to help feed yourself, anything like that, you just keep that baby right here. Just guard it and protect it and keep it close to you. And at six months, you cut what held it up, and it's going to do this. Now, you may have muscle to pull it up, but the strength is gone. The ability for that arm to be productive will be so far behind this arm. You didn't go to the gym. You didn't lift a weight. You didn't do anything. You just used it. But that arm that you did nothing with will be so atrophied and so weak that it will not be a blessing to you. It'll be a hindrance because now the arm that was good and was taking care of everything on its own, now it has to take care of this one and take care of you. Don't shout me down. That's a good word right there. If I don't say anything else, that'll bless you right there. and Set you free. Glory, hallelujah. And the same is... Where we are. Oh, man, I see how so-and-so flows in their gift. Man, I, I can't use this what I think I might have. You know what it does? It just stays strapped to your side, and it gets weaker and weaker and weaker. And then when you try to use it, you cut it loose, and you try to use it, you can't do anything, you said, see, I told you. Don't shout me that. The fullness of God that fills all things, it comes through us. We're His body in the earth. We are, look. Look around the room. If you're a believer, then this is for this local assembly. Please, not for the world. For this local assembly, this is it. This is his expression in the river right here. These are the gifts he's placed here for his kingdom to come. Not for ours to be just encouraged and built up, but for his kingdom to come. He's trusted us. To bring it. That's awesome privilege. And responsibility. That his fullness. How's he do that? How's he fill all things? He, he tells us. It goes right into verse 11. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. To do what? To go out and win everybody to the Lord. And we've shared this here before. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But I am going to touch on it. Because there's still this mentality in the body. That God gave the apostle, the prophet evangelist pastor and teacher you know i'll do it with this hand in bible college they taught us how to remember those there's a bump there watch it. It's the the apostle he he's the one who transformed culture he's like the guy who's spying out the land and he's bringing the kingdom the apostle the prophet he's the finger and, and this is what we've been taught he's the finger that boy the prophet he'll tell you what's going on wrong in your life But I believe the New Testament prophet is he's the one who says, Melanie, there's a gift in you. Clint, there's a gift in you. There's a gift in you, Josh, that you don't even realize how big that gift is. And and as you begin to cultivate it, that's the prophet. He's declaring your identity in Christ. And he's telling you, this may be what your life has shaped you to be, but that's not who you are. This may be the mistakes that you've made, but that's not who you are. It's what you did and not who you are. He's the one that's calling you up. The next is the evangelist. He sticks out the most. Many times, the evangelist has got the biggest mouth. They've told me I have an evangelistic anointing on me. I don't know how to take that. The evangelist, you know, the evangelist, he's the one who blows in, blows up, and blows out. Right? That's the evangelist. He comes in, woo! And then leaves the pastor to clean up the mess. <laughs> the next one's the pastor. And the pastor, they say, is married to the church. That's why he's the ring finger, because he's the one who cares for and looks after the church. And what's the last one? Teacher. And they say the teacher, he's like your little finger. He's the one that gets in your ear and just digs and digs and digs. (laughs) So now you'll never forget the fivefold ministry: apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. So you learned something today. But he says that his fullness is to fill all the earth. How does he do it? He did it by giving gifts to the, by giving leaders to the church. There's gifts in each one of us individually, but there's, there's uh, leadership gifts, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, that he's placed in the church for what reason? Let's finish reading. He says that he's given us, uh, him, himself gave some. Who gave? Himself. Does that validate it? Absolutely. It doesn't matter what religion or tradition says about what gifts here and what gifts not. It says in my Bible that Jesus gave them for a purpose. Amen. So be it. Let it be settled. Not because Todd said it, because he said it. In our New Testament, that he himself gave these gifts to the church for a purpose. What was the purpose? It goes on to say, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ come on that's good stuff right there so he himself gave the fivefold ministry who to the church for what that they would be equipped to do the work of the ministry see the fivefold gifting is not to do the work of the ministry that's what's been preached the evangelist goes out and wins all the lost and brings them in the church And the pastor, once he does that, well, well, we can back up. The apostle, he comes in declaring the will of the Lord establishing a culture from heaven. The prophet begins to call out, here's what God's saying about this area. The evangelist goes in, and he wins everybody. The pastor comes in, and he, he takes care of everybody, and the teacher comes alongside. And many say the pastor and teacher are right beside each other because they flow in and out of that office together as pastor and teacher. Then the teacher comes in, and he teaches everybody. That's the model that's been in, in the, the body of, the, of Christ across the world, across every denomination. That's the model that's been there. That those gifts do the work and we just come and we get filled up on Sundays because we're empty from all week in the world. Because we, the sheep, are the only ones that live in the world. The fivefold gift, they don't live there. They're just there to help us because we have to live there. We have to be among the sheep all the time. And we get dirty and we get tired. And the shepherd, he has to come and get us and pick us up. Because we're just weak, dumb sheep. And that's what's been taught. We're just weak, dumb sheep. But let me ask you this. Even if that's your mentality, who produces sheep? The shepherd or the sheep? You guys are smarter than the average bear. <laughs> sheep produce sheep. The shepherd tends. Sheep produce. Awesome. Hmm. That's a novel idea. So, he said, I've given you the five-fold ministry. Why? Why? Because I want you built up that Jesus gets his full reward, that his glory fills the earth. Because his glory filling the earth comes through us. Through us being everything he's called us to be. He didn't create us to be an imitation. He created us to be an original. And you know what? The way he created us, some may not understand. Here's something the Lord has taught me. Is that I may not fully understand the vessel, the person, that the Lord brings stuff to me in. But I won't discount the vessel so that I don't miss the message. Because it's easy to discount a vessel because they don't look like you think they ought to look. Or they've done things that you don't approve of. But the Lord can still bring. And listen, His message through that vessel doesn't validate their lifestyle. Let me say that again. His message through that vessel doesn't validate their lifestyle. But it doesn't diminish the message. Can you track with me? A perfect man, it goes on to say in verse 13, until we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, a perfect man, that means mature, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So he's really clear here. What does a mature man look like? He looks just like Christ on the earth. What does a mature church look like? It looks just like Christ on the earth. What did Christ look like on the earth? Thank you for asking. Matthew 4, verse 23. And he, Jesus, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and there was those, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him, from Galilee, and from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, from Judea, and beyond Jordan. So let's back up and look at this. It says, and Jesus went about. What did Jesus do? If we say we want to be the fullness of Christ, and each of us play a part, if that's who we say we want to be, then we need to look and see what he did, right? Would you agree? If we're Christians, Christ-like ones, we ought to see what Christ did. What's the first thing it says he did in Matthew 4? And Jesus went about. Jesus wasn't stationary in the temple or the synagogue waiting on people to come to him. He went about. So what should we be doing? We should be going about. We should be going about. Like we go to the DR and we go out in the neighborhoods and we pray for people. We go out, like the testimony last week, Josh shared and, and Stephen shared too. We went out and we said, we don't have an interpreter. And, and they, Stephen and Josh the Lord will give us somebody. Steve said, "I ain't sweating that. The Lord'll give us somebody. Something happened. The Lord, He's bigger than this." And we go out. The first, I'm, I'm literally, we walk out of the the gate of the place we're staying, turn and walk from here to the window, and this guy rides up on the motorcycle. And we stop him, and start praying for him. And he speaks English, and he gets off and gives his motorcycle to another guy. Says, "You can go take it." I'm like, "That's pretty awesome." And he just walks around with us. And we needed an interpreter. We don't need an interpreter here most places. Not all places, but most places. We don't need an interpreter. Right? Jesus did what? He went about. He's our example. Not the evangelist who comes in and says, let's go a big city crusade. Who's our example? Jesus. He went about. Where did he go? He went. (laughs) It says he went to Galilee. Galilee. What was he doing? He was teaching in their synagogues. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What's the gospel of the kingdom? It's this. It's reconciliation to God and heaven on earth. That's the gospel of the kingdom, that Jesus came and he reconciled us to God. We now have right relationship with God because of what Jesus did, and the fruit of that is heaven on earth. Anything we see short of that is not the gospel of the kingdom. I'm, I'm just reading it straight from the Word. The issue's not with me. Healing uh, all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Where was Jesus? Among the people. Come on, man. This is good. This is straight out of the Word. I'm not adding to it, I'm just reading it. He was among the people. Then his fame went throughout all. Syria, and they brought him all the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great multitudes followed him. Jesus went about among the people, teaching, preaching, healing, and fame went throughout all the area. So why am I, as the leader of this fellowship, passionate about seeing the sick healed, the oppressed set free? Because he's the one who gets famous. His fame went throughout the earth. Not their fame, his fame. He was known all around. And as he was known, then, listen... He went out. He was among the people. He ministered life. And as he ministered life, people started bringing people to him. You see the difference? Instead of just saying, God will bring them in, God will bring them in, we'll call in, we're going to bring them in from the north and from the south, and hold back not, and come from the east, and sons and daughters from the west. Jesus went out. Do I agree with that passage? Absolutely. I declare it in here. I'll say to the north, give them up. To the south, keep them not back. To the east and to the west, don't bring in the sons and the daughters. But you don't find, and I'm going to try to bring this to a close. I've got so much vision, it's hard to squeeze it all out in a few minutes. You don't find a New Testament model of people gathering in an assembly and just praying and waiting for people to come in. That's what's taught many times. You don't see a model in the New Testament of the church gathering together to pray. Oh, yes, you do. In Acts chapter 2, they prayed because Jesus said, Wait till you be endued with power. But once the power was given, he said, Go. Mark 16, these signs will follow them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And it says, when you read Mark 16 there, it says so that they went out. And it says, Jesus, it says that he went with them confirming their word. With signs, wonders, and miracles, as they did what? They went out. You need to read; it'll just really bless you. First John four seven through twenty one. It'll bless you so much. I'm going to read it right now, beloved. Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love God? Who who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. The word live, it means this, to enjoy real life, to have true life, and worthy of the name, active, blessed, endless in the kingdom of God. That's Thayer's Greek definition of this word life. Through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sin. He said, here, I want to clarify what love is. Not how much we love God, but how much God loves us. He sent him to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected among us. That goes right with what I was reading earlier. How is his fullness going to be seen in the earth? As we love like he loves us. And then that love pours out of us to those who are around to See, listen, I don't want to see miracles for the sake of seeing miracles. I want to see miracles for his honor and his glory so that his love. When I see people, I don't want to see a wheelchair. I want to see someone whom Jesus loved, who Jesus paid the price that they don't have to stay in that wheelchair. I'm not there to get them out of the wheelchair. I'm there for them to experience his love. Not my tenacity, his love. Does that mean it's not tenacious? Absolutely not. We won't get there without being tenacious. It doesn't happen. I'm telling you, my wife and I, we had a talk over the past few days about our time, our priorities, and what we're going to do differently in our house to get us where we feel like the Lord's telling us to be individually and where this church needs to go corporately. Because here's what I understand John Maxwell calls it the law of the lid. And it's this, that in any organization, there's a lid, and it's the highest in the, corp- in, the, in the chain. He's the lid. He's the one who says, this is how high you can come. Now, I believe that in a healthy organization, there are people who can go past the head. You can empower people to the place that they can go places you haven't been, but it doesn't stop you from going. but you've got to be secure in who you are because if you're not secure in who you are, then you'll stop anybody from going past you. And the Lord showed me a few years ago that I had become a lid and I was worried about people going by me and it was because I didn't know who I was. And I said, not anymore, Lord. I want to develop people. If there's people in our church who go further than I've ever gone, I'm going to celebrate them and empower them to do it. Because I don't want to be their lid. I want to be their catapult. And I'm telling you that the Lord is calling me higher. And he's told me with that, there's going to be more that you have. You're going to have to steward better than you've ever stewarded, And you're going to have to seek harder than you've ever sought. So I'm telling you, there's things I'm doing in my life to align for that. And there's things we're going to be doing in this church to align for that. Thursday, as we were, we we're praying. And then at the end, we'll give time to see what the Lord has spoken. And uh, Ben... Say, man, I just really feel impressed. I need to share this, uh, <clears throat> this scripture. <clears throat> and um, he read Revelation t- 5, 9 and 10. It says, "And they sang a new song saying, "You are worthy to take the scroll <laughs> and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood." Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Not in heaven, on earth. And Ben said, man, I'm just, this is just alive on the inside of me. The Lord not only redeemed us, but he redeemed us for a purpose. To be kings and priests on the earth. Kings and priests on the earth. So our job is not just to gather corporately and just make it till the end. Our privilege is that we are kings and he was slain to redeem us. He laid down his life that we can live unto him. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And he says, he made us kings and priests. Ben said, man, I believe that's the commission of the Lord over us individually. And I said, over us corporately, is that people be born again. What's the n- most important thing? Not that a, an arm grow out that, or that uh, a paralytic get out of the wheelchair. The most important thing is they know the Lord Jesus. But here's what I know. Jesus went about doing signs and wonders. And he said in Matthew's gospel, if you don't believe my word, believe for the very works sake. Did you hear me? Jesus said, if you don't believe what I'm saying, look at what's happened. You've never seen it before. They even said that we've never seen anybody do what he does or speak with the authority that he speaks with. And Jesus said, if you don't believe what I'm telling you, look at the works. That's why I'm passionate about seeing the works of the Lord. Not because we want to be a, we want to be a miracle church. No, we want to be a church that points people to Jesus he's altogether lovely and he heals in every area not just emotionally not just physically he heals he's the whole package that's who he is and it's and it said here that he's worthy so salvation is the most that's the greatest miracle that ever happened to someone get born again that he takes a sinner and turns him into a saint greatest miracle in the world ever period bar none but that's not where we stop that's a door not the destination And that door is that we would be kings and priests. So some of the things that we're going to do, we are in August. We're going to have sign-up sheets for small groups again. And one thing I'm going to do is I'm uh, I'm not going to have the group that I had last time. I'm going to teach again the foundations class. Uh, Because I think it's paramount that we have people coming in from different cultures, different backgrounds, that you understand the foundation that we have, the, the reason that we have, the culture that we have. And if it's just two people, three people, I don't know. But if you're new and you go, man, I want to know who you are, I'd encourage you to take our foundations class because it's going to be a small group that, that meets and uh, it's going to be all about the foundation. Why do we believe what we believe and what's the scriptural precedence for it? Because that's how we go forward. But we're going to have other small groups and we'll have signups for those. There's going to be fellowships. They're probably going to be curriculum-driven because we've seen them to be the most fruitful. It doesn't mean that you're tied to a... This curriculum you have to do, it means that you have a guide that you can go by that opens up and gives opportunity to, to grow in the body. There also, our streams are a place for you to develop those gifts that you're in, that are on the inside of you. It's in that place that if you have the gift of, uh, of encouragement, if you have the gift of prophecy, that you can flow inside of that, inside of that structure, and you can develop the gift that's in you. The thing that we're going to continue to do is go, our go ministry, that goes out into the community. We're in the, even in the process of seeing what that's really going to look like as we go forward. We're just saying, all right, Lord, we want to hear you. We want strategies. And that's what I've been praying. I mean, Lord, I know who you've called us to be, but I want strategies to see it. I want your voice. I want your vision, not my vision. I want what you've got. Because if we do what you're doing, if we find what you're doing and we partner with you, we'll succeed every time. He doesn't fail. So we begin to pray. And I just begin to say, Lord, I want strategies of what you're saying. So we're going to continue to go. We'll continue to have our Sunday celebration uh, where we come together corporately and we worship and we pray. But something that we're adding is this, and I'll close. Is so we're going to add uh, a Friday night. Every other Friday we're going to meet, we're going to have Friday night School of the Spirit. And I'm going to tell you, it's not, it's not a Friday night worship night. Will we have worship? Absolutely we'll have worship. But that's not what it is. It's not just going to be a Friday night teaching night. Well, we have teaching. We're going to have teaching. It's not going to just be a Friday night demonstration night. Well, we have demonstration. We will. But each night we're coming and we're saying, Lord, we want to hear from you. There will be some aspect of, there's going to be worship. There's going to be teaching. But there, it's going to be, and I'm telling you, you have to prioritize your time. I'm not begging anybody to come. If it's me and three or four others, I'm good with it. Is that what I want? No. But what I'm looking is for people who say, I don't want life the way it is right now. I don't want to expect in the fall of the year when the winter change, weather changes that sickness comes. And that's just what happens. I know that Bible says that I don't have to be that way. And I'm going to do something different so that it's not that way. If I could say it this way, it won't be for the fainting heart. There's a good possibility we're going to read a book together. And go through a book. I'm telling you, I'm not going to do what we've always done. We don't need another night just to gather and worship all night long. We worship on Sunday mornings. And it's important. I worship not on Sunday mornings. I worship every day. And that should be the life that we live is a life of worship. So when we come together, we're going to be more intentional than we've ever been. We're going to come. We're going to worship. There's going to be teaching. There's going to be impartation. There's going to be demonstration. And there's going to be doing. That's all I'm going to say. But I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to shape the culture of our church. It's going to shape our Sunday mornings because we've done Friday nights before. And when I talked about it and started rolling around, I said, We did Friday nights. They started big and then they fizzled out. And the Lord said, It was because you weren't intentional. It's all, it's all good to be led by the Spirit. And I'm not saying we won't be spirit led. But there's something, there's another level when we go, we believe the Spirit can speak at any moment and we can shift directions, but we're coming in with intentionality, with purpose. And I'm telling you, our Friday nights are not just for worship. They're not just for teaching. They're for those who say, I'm tired of life as I know it. It doesn't mean you have a bad life. Are you listening? It means this, that I believe that there are things in the Bible that I've yet to touch and I don't want to go to heaven without touching them. That's who it's for. It, and it's, it, it'll probably look different every night that we meet. And here's my, I'll just tell you my heart, is that it's not every other Friday. My desire is that we go and the presence of the Lord starts doing so much that we start meeting every Friday. Because I, I understand how busy schedules are. And for, for, for a long time, I've made excuses about how busy everybody is so we don't want to do Too much. And what I've done is I've just... I'm just being transparent. I've lulled us down that we have a Sunday gathering and we do small groups when they're convenient. And when we worship on Sunday, man, we worship and we teach and we go long because we love God on Sunday. I, and please, I'm releasing you right now from a feeling of obligation. That's not... I'm telling you... I, I relinquish that, and I, dis- I dispel that right now. But here's what the Lord told me. Whatever's important to you, you'll make time for. A very good friend said that to me the other day. The Lord really highlighted it to him, and I began to meditate on that. And the Lord said, Todd, look at your life. Anything in your life that you really want to do, you make time for. Anyone you really wanted to be with, you make time for. Any uh, activity that you wanted to be a part of, you would make time for. You know, we uh, went to a special meeting Thursday night and we left early because I figured it was going to be a a good meeting. There'd be a lot of people and I didn't want to be in the back. I was on the third row. That's because the first two were saved. We got there an hour and a half early, wasn't it? You know why? Because it was a priority to me. There was an expectancy that I carried with me when I went. And I wasn't disappointed because I went believing. And, I, and that's what I believe. I, I believe our Sunday mornings are going to continue to be awesome. Just off the charts, awesome. But I also believe that there's a, there's a body that desires to see the fullness, His fullness expressed in the earth. And they go, you know what? I'm willing to rearrange my schedule. I saw when we went to the DR and we've seen this every year. When a group of people, and this year was different than any we've ever done because we were more intentional. This year, the group that went to the DR wasn't just whoever could raise the money. It was whoever would come and be committed to the journey to get there. And I saw in that some, some of the most radical life transformations among our team and when we were there that I've ever seen. And you know what the difference was? how intentional we were before we went. And not just before we went, while we were there. And what I've seen since we've been back, how intentional uh, a lot of our people are in their, in their worship to the Lord. So it was those things along with just saying, Lord, what are you saying right now that, who we are and what we're to be doing? And again, I, I reiterate that we are not, in my passion I want you to know that I don't believe that we're the only ones doing it or getting it done. Not just in the world, not just in Gibsonville. I have dear friends here who I know that they're walking out in obedience what the Lord is leading them to do right now. And they're having great impact. But I can't lead their ministry. I can only lead this one. And I can say, here is who the Lord is telling us to be. And I can invite you to come along for the journey because it's going to be a journey. But it'll be well worth it.